it's uh, welcome to monsoon season, right? <laughs> it's been kind of crazy these last few days. And uh, I've been watching, uh, as I watch the news and see people talking about this, they're all like super covered up. In fact, I saw a picture just um, earlier this morning. I was flipping through my Facebook feed to see what was going on in the world of my friends, and there were people that had taken pictures because they went to Bush Gardens yesterday. And uh, of course, the lines were short, so they were happy, but they were, they were like raincoats with hoods all covered up and a mask on. I'm like, how can that possibly be fun under any circumstance? You have to really love, but they got to be like first in line for one of the coasters, which they never are. I thought, well, that's because all the you know, sensible people were home, but... Um, <clears throat> They were dressed for it, though, right? They were, you know, and the reporters are out reporting on all this rain. And, you know, I had somebody text me last night, are you okay? Because the local news said Colony Pines is getting flooded. And, and uh, we were fine. We did have a bit of a pond in our backyard. Uh, and I was tempted to throw a line in. But, uh, you know, I didn't figure anybody would be there yet. And, uh, but it was okay. But everybody's out reporting, and they're, they're dressed for it, right? If you went out and happened to get caught in it, like I did, and wasn't dressed for it, you came home and changed your clothes because you were just drenched. You were not dressed, prepared for the situation. Well, that's what today's about as we finish Ephesians. We're going to talk about being dressed appropriately for the circumstances we find ourselves in as believers. What are the things that are most important to us as we live our Christian life? I want to I begin um, in a way that I had not intended, or at least I hadn't written down, but I was just thinking this morning <clears throat> about how many places in the world, I'm really sorry, I'm going to interrupt myself and ask, could somebody run and grab me a bottle of water? Because I can tell already I'm going to be hacking and coughing. No, it's not COVID. <laughs> um, and I should have done that in my arm, right? Okay. Um, there are countries in the world where the concept of spiritual warfare that we're going to address today are very vivid. Uh, I have friends who have been in various places in the world where the reality of spiritual warfare is more apparent than it normally is here. Uh, we, we live in a, in a country where for many years, even from based on the founding principles of our country, there has been some general semblance of awareness of the presence of God and the, the reality that there is a God and that to some degree we ought to be obeying him. And while I think that's changing dramatically in our country right now, I think that there has been some semblance of the influence of the church in our culture that has helped keep some of that less visible. There are places in the world, we, uh, Jody and I had a, uh, a friend we were speaking to one time who had been a, uh, a missionary in Brazil where there's an incredible amount of witchcraft and, and uh, evil spirit worship and all of these things. And he was back home in the States one time traveling to minister to churches and share with them about his work. And he had brought back from Brazil some little trinkets. Oh, there's no bottles. And he got me a glass. What a guy. Thank you so much. I'll talk to Sean about a bonus. <laughs> I don't think it'll do any good, but I'll talk to him. <laughs> um, he brought back some things from the country to put on his display table, like missionaries sometimes do. They'll, they'll set up a display, you get to go look, and so on. 
And without thinking about it, he brought back things that were used in those kind of religious uh, rituals that they did. And he told us of an occasion when he was traveling from one church to another where he all of a sudden came under this overwhelming urge to drive to the other side of the road into oncoming traffic, and he almost couldn't shake it. And it kept at him and kept at him and kept at him, and it finally clicked with him what was going on. He pulled to the side of the road, took those things out, smashed them on the side of the road, drove on his way, never had another thought about it. He said, people in our country don't believe that spiritual warfare is actually real. So when we get into this passage today, what I want to do is not scare you into anything. What I want you to to do as we look at this is to recognize that we are, in fact, in spiritual warfare in the world today. What's going on, for the most part, around us can find its roots in a spiritual battle that's going on. And we don't have to be afraid of that. That, to me, is the point of this passage. So some of what I have written down in my notes, we're going to go through most of it, but some of it, as I've just been meditating on it in the last day or so, getting ready, is going to be a little different. So uh, I'm going to probably pull a Pastor Andrew, and the sermon may look very different between this one and the next one. (laughs) But anyway, uh, I want you to find your way to Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to finish up. Beginning in verse 10, we're going to finish this great, great letter. Man, I'm... I've been so happy that we've uh, taken the time to go through this. So I want to read just the first three verses of this section, beginning in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. I want to have a quick word of prayer before we jump in. Father, I thank you that victory is assured and the war is certain. You have won. And we're very grateful, Lord, that as we approach the skirmishes and the battles and sometimes what seem to be outright warfare, uh, we don't have to fear about the end result. But I pray that you would help us today to understand a little more clearly uh, just how to be well prepared to face the battles that are ahead of us. Uh, Lord, whatever it becomes for us, I pray that we would be ready in the strength of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. All right. Verse 10, we're going to start talking, first of all, to talk about the context of our battle. This is a spiritual battle, and so I want to begin by talking about our authority because that's what Paul does. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Now, there's something in this verse and the way it's written that is different than we read it, and perhaps the way we are encouraged to do it by some corners of Christianity. I read that and I think I got to be strong. I got to be powerful. I got to be strong in the Lord and I can take on the forces of evil. This says it's a passive word. It's not you go be strong. It's be strengthened in the Lord. If I learn anything from this verse, it is that I am not equal to the task. I am not sufficient 
to engage spiritual warfare any more than I am to be saved. It is not my strength that accomplishes that. I am to be strengthened in the Lord, in Christ, in his strength and in his might, in his power, his dominion. I'm to be strengthened in that and in the power of his might, his personal capability. We go, and, and we'll touch on it again here in a little bit, but we think back to uh, the temptation of Jesus in the early uh, chapters of the gospel accounts, how that Satan personally came to Jesus, and after 40 days of temptation, the culmination of it was Satan coming with these three temptations to Jesus. If you'll do this, if you'll do this, and if you'll do this. And Jesus defeated Satan. And sometimes we take away from that, man, if I'll just respond like Jesus did, I'll defeat Satan. But this particular verse says, I'm to be strengthened in his capabilities, not in mine. I am to be strengthened. James Boyce says, we're reminded that we are unequal to the battle. We have no strength of our own. Our strength must come from the Lord. Nevertheless, endued with his strength, we are to fight these spiritual forces arrayed against us. It's warfare, right? It's spiritual warfare. Remember the story of Elijah and his servants, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Elijah kept telling the king of Israel where the king of Syria was going to be, where the armies were going to be, and so they would hide from them. And, and not unexpectedly, the king of Syria was like, what in the world is going on? And so he calls all his people in and, okay, okay, who's the snitch? Who's telling? Who's letting people know? We got to find out there's a mole in here. And somebody spoke up and said, it's actually Elijah. He knows what you say when you're hiding away in your bedroom. And so they sent a whole army of people after Elijah. And Elijah's serving gets up in the morning, looks out the window, and there is an army covering the hillside right around the town where they are. And he's, uh, oh boy, what are we going to do now? And Elijah simply prayed and said, Lord, open his eyes, let him see. And he was enabled to see chariots of fire and horsemen uh, and soldiers surrounding the army that was surrounding them. We look at stories like that, and I think that we're inclined to to go all Hollywood on that, right? I think we envision, yeah, but it wasn't actually something. But the scripture says it was something that he couldn't see until God enabled him to see it. And presumably, Elijah was able to. I'm not suggesting we look for ghosts or look for anything weird or, or out of the ordinary. I'm simply saying it is a reality that our enemy which is our next thing, our enemy is not primarily flesh and blood. Now here's our hang-up. All of our battles that we're fighting are visible to us, and we really like that. We like to see the enemy. We like to see the things that we're going after. Spiritual wickedness, it calls it. Not we're not wrestling flesh and blood against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Lots of people, if you read six commentators, you'll get lots of opinions about what that means, ranking of spiritual forces or the way spiritual forces function in different parts of the world or in different times in history or whatever. 
I don't really care exactly what it's referring to. What I care about is there are spiritual forces at work, right? Now, here's the thing we have to be careful of. Most Christians I know who lean to the left politically think those forces are behind the Republican Party. And most Christians I know who are firmly in the conservative Republican camp think those forces are behind the Democrats. I'm telling you those forces are behind everything. They're behind Washington. <laughs> They're behind the fact that anybody who is not a follower of Christ, who is not wanting to honor God, is going to be driven by these kinds of forces in thinking. It doesn't matter what their party is. We, we just got out of a, a series of discussions, and we sometimes look at this passage and we disconnect it. We kind of yank it out and talk about it all on its own, but it's, it's connected, right? It says, finally, this is the last point in his conversation about submitting to one another and how our submission to one another and our submission to Christ affects our marriages and our relationship with our kids and our parents and our relationships in our, our home and our work environments all of those things. And finally, I want you to know something else. I think sometimes we forget that when there is something going on in our home, when our kids are, are wandering away and wandering from the faith, we think, oh, well, they're, they're being stupid. I need to pray for them. There are spiritual forces at work attracting them away. We served for a, a number of years as uh, well, missionaries and then working in a home office of a mission agency. And we regularly understood that, because we watched it happen, that Satan will endeavor to get missionaries discouraged and dissuaded and, you know, dampened in their enthusiasm and all these things. And if he can't do that to the parents, we often watched how he went after the kids. And the children of missionaries would become subject to, to things in their lives that were attracting them away from the things of God or bringing things to their lives that they would perhaps not respond well to. And we used to say, if God can't get to the parent, or if Satan can't get to the parents, he'll go after the kids. There's spiritual warfare. Now, the only thing I have to be careful of when I say things like this is there are people who find an evil spirit under every rock. Every time you turn around, oh, there's an evil spirit of this and an evil spirit of that. This is not what I'm talking about. I'm simply saying that behind the scenes of what we're doing, there is a lot of this spiritual warfare that's impacting what's happening. We want to see our enemy. So we're focused on people or political systems or other religions or social issues, and we're, we're, we're looking at these things not realizing there is spiritual warfare happening all around us. We, we get mocked if we talk about the devil as though he's real because it's been really successful in, in painting him as the one with red tights and horns and a tail, right? And a pitchfork. And, and so it's silly. Why would you think that's actually real? We want to be so pragmatic that we, we forget that there is that which is behind us forces that are stronger than ourselves that stand behind what is visible. So we go strengthened in Christ and in his authority and in his power and in his capacity to defeat spiritual enemies. Then he gives us the weapon. So how do we do that? 
He just gives us a list, so we'll go through the list. It begins with a belt of truth. The belt, and, and I think the old King James used to call it the girdle. I used to love saying that's the thing that holds everything together because that really is a vivid picture, right? Or it used to be. I don't, don't think we have those around much anymore. But the belt was the central thing of what a person wore. It, it, it held the tunic together because the tunic was like a long flowing robe. Again, we're not accustomed to that, but it, it kind of held everything together. And for a soldier who was ready for battle, who was wearing a different sort of armor, the belt was the thing that all the other weapons attached to, that there was this central nature of it. Exodus chapter 12, if, if a person had a tunic on, not, not yet ready for battle, but this concept of being prepared, uh, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth, let me back up for just a second about verse 13. I'm not convinced we're living in the evil day yet. It's still okay, right? I mean, we're, we're in the midst of a, a really weird season, but I can tell you in just a few weeks, I'm going to use a phrase that I read from Paul Harvey. Uh, in times like these, it's good to remember there have always been times like these, <laughs> There, there have always been times in history when everybody said this is unprecedented, right? I don't want to take too much away from that sermon, so I'll leave that alone. But, but I realize we are in very trying times. I saw someone the other day uh, said they think that the man of the year this year is going to be mayhem from the commercials. Uh, probably so. It just seems like there's always something horrible going on. But this is not the evil day. These are bad things that we're experiencing, but we have brothers and sisters in Christ who are facing evil days, who are being not only threatened, but tortured and persecuted genuinely for their faith in Christ. That day very well may come to us in America, and it's going to take a lot of us uh, by storm and by surprise. But we need to be able to withstand in the evil day. And so we begin with the belt of truth, Exodus chapter 12, when, when uh, Moses went to the people and said, listen, you need to be ready to go. There's going to be this Passover, and here's what you're going to do. And, and when you do, you need to have yourself, your, yourself, your tunic ready to go. It talked about preparedness so that you can be ready to move when it's time, because it's going to happen, and it's going to happen quickly. This word is always used in relation to preparedness and readiness. So I think readiness can be really a good thing in three specific areas, I'm going to give you just an example of each of them, because I think our readiness has to do with divine realities, things that we have to have securely settled in our thinking and in our heart when we face spiritual battle. The first is God and his faithful love. Psalm 86 and verse 15, but you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious. It is an incredible thing. You are slow to anger, and you are abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. It is best to get these things cemented in our heads so we don't have to think to ourselves, what was that verse again? Maybe a plug for scripture memory, but the concept of God as one who is steadfast in his love, unyielding in his love, unswerving in his faithfulness to us is desperately important. 
Second divine reality is the person and work of Jesus. John 14, he said, right, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The belt of truth includes a recognition that Jesus is the one. No one comes to the Father except through him. He is the truth. The person and work of Christ is one of the divine realities that will help me be prepared to face spiritual battle. And thirdly, the word of God. Jesus said to his, to his heavenly Father in his high priestly prayer in John 17, Lord, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. This is, this is not just something that's really good to have one around. This is really, really important for us to read it and learn it and study it. It's one of the multitude of reasons that we are so insistent about the importance of corporate worship at Coastal because we teach the scriptures here. It's one of the reasons I make such a production out of small group ministry and how important it is because we get in our small groups and we take what we heard on Sunday and we interact with each other about it and we, we learn to grow in how to take what we've heard and make use of it. And we're going to come back around to that here in just a minute. This is not a competing truth among many. There is no my truth and your truth. There is the truth and it is found in the word of God. So the belt of truth. Secondly, the breastplate of righteousness, which was simply the armor that they wore, right? Whatever it was designed like, whether it was overlapping pieces of leather or chain mail or whatever they had developed in the appropriate time, it was, it was to keep your vital organs safe. I would suggest it deals with Satan as our accuser. It's the imputed righteousness of Christ and the practical righteousness that comes as an outworking of our faith in Christ. It is the reality of the fact that on my account in heaven is seen the righteousness of Jesus Christ rather than my own and my own failings and even my own righteousness. And it is the righteousness that's developed in my life as I walk with God and I learn to, to follow after the scriptures and obey the truth. That practical righteousness helps to protect me in days of spiritual warfare. The gospel of peace in verse 15, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Shoes were, are, of course, for stability, the right shoe makes all the difference in the world. In that day, they didn't have all the varieties. You know, they couldn't run to Bass Pro or to wherever you go, pay less. I don't even know what shoe stores are around anymore. But um, they, you, you went and you could now buy whatever shoe you want. There's a shoe for hiking. There's a shoe for running. There's a shoe for cross training. There's a shoe for basketball. And that's, you know, just on the sneaker variety. And then you've got all, you know, everything else. In that day... If you wanted to shoot for battle, you took your sandals and you embedded pieces of glass or rock on the bottom of it so you could have better traction. The point is, what's going to keep you in, in, in steady footing, sure-footedness? And it is the gospel of peace. And MacArthur says it this way, the good news is we stand in the confidence of God's love for us, his union with us, his commitment to fight for us. Sure footing, the gospel of peace. Verse 16 talks about the shield of faith. In all circumstances, take that up with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts 
of the evil one. I suspect that's talking at least about temptation. And perhaps this could be viewed as the thing that protects us from Satan as the tempter, enabling us to overcome. It was a couple of different kinds of shields, but probably he's talking about the big one that a a separate person would carry, perhaps, alongside of the the soldier so that they could both get behind it when there were arrows coming and be protected from it. Faith enables us to depend on the strength of the Lord to defeat temptation in our life. The helmet of salvation, I think, protects us from Satan as our deceiver. It's talking about protecting the the head, the mind. And then he says, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, which we've talked about, protects us against Satan as the liar because we know what the truth is. The word of God is described by itself. It says in 2 Timothy 3, the word is inspired and sufficient. It is effective, or rather Isaiah chapter 55. It will accomplish what God sends it forth to do. It is truth. We already read John 17, 17. Useful for growth. First Peter chapter 2 talks about how it is helpful to enable us to grow in our walk with Christ. It is powerful, according to Hebrews 4, and divides between soul and spirit and joints and marrow. It discerns the very thoughts and intentions of our heart. And it is in this passage described as the one offensive weapon of the list. It's the thing that we use in battle. And we use the scriptures in, in, their, in their repetition, in applying them, in taking advantage of them. It's not just the Bible literally in print. It is using the scriptures. And again, I would go back to what Jesus did. When, when Satan came to him, Jesus could have simply said, you're out of here. I'm God. This isn't going to work. But he took the word of God and used it and applied it to the circumstances that Satan was seeking to tempt him in. And based on the truth of the word of God, he defeated and refused temptation. So we have this really significant battle. It is spiritual. And I would encourage you to recognize that when you're in the middle of something that has just got you weighted down, don't look for a, you know, a, uh, an evil spirit of depression or an evil spirit of a bad attitude. I'm just saying when you're in the middle of something, recognize the likelihood is there is spiritual influence going on here. There is something behind this that is deeper than what you see. So grab the weapons, take up the weapons, protect yourself. And then he says in verse 18, starting in verse 18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance and making supplication for all the saints. That's, that's really significant, right? It is It is so incredibly important that we pray. He's talking, this is the environment of our battle, the environment in which we do battle. The first is persevering prayer. I already put in a plug for prayer night Thursday night, right? We 
We believe prayer is important at Coastal. Our staff meets every Tuesday, and the first thing we do when we get together on Tuesday mornings is we have a prayer time together, devotions and prayer time. When we come here on Wednesday morning with our staff at Coastal, we have our meeting together, and then we pray together. We have small groups that we encourage to pray. We have a prayer team that is uh, partly tasked with encouraging us and challenging us to pray. I hope that you are taking advantage of this incredible weapon of God that we call prayer. It is so vitally important. We do it in all seasons, good seasons, bad seasons, at all times. It's, it's interesting. It's not, it's not as hard to pray when things are going bad, right? It's kind of instinctual for us. But what about when things are fine? What about when things are going okay? Then, man, somehow or another, we lose the habit and the discipline of prayer, do it both generally, those words for prayer and supplication are general and then more specific, including praying for other people, but we're to do it steadfastly without giving up. I've, I've often heard over the years from folks, they, they feel like prayer is almost the hardest part of the Christian life. It's certainly one of the hardest disciplines, right? Because we feel like, yeah, but I, I'm not doing anything. That's kind of the point, right? It's kind of the point of prayer is going back to the beginning of this section to realize I'm being strengthened even in prayer. I don't have what it takes to do this. So it doesn't matter how much I'm doing if I'm not praying. I, I heard it said years ago, there's, there's lots more to do after you pray. That shouldn't be the only thing you do. Don't live your life only ever praying. There's lots more to do after you pray, but there's nothing else to do until you pray. Prayer, persevering prayer is vitally important, and it is prayer about proclamation. Also, he says, verse 19, for me, pray for me, that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. That's proclamation. The time is no longer when it's okay to just be quiet. And can I please just put a quick thing in here? Facebook didn't exist then. He was talking about actually speaking, right? He wasn't talking about posting something. He was talking about proclamation. He's asking them to pray that he will have boldness. Does that encourage you? I mean, that's Paul. And he recognized he needed people to pray that he would be bold. So if you're not always feeling bold about proclaiming the gospel, you are right in the same camp with Paul. He was not always apparently as bold as he felt he ought to be. He was asking for prayer for boldness that he might make known, make clear the gospel. couple of thoughts. Don't forget we're at war. Don't get soothed into thinking, nah, this is, just a, this is just a job situation. Nah, this is just a financial crisis. It'll work itself out. Nah, this is just a, a bug of some sort. We'll eventually get immune or something. No. Please strike the balance between thinking everything is an evil spirit and thinking that nothing is spiritual. 
We make too much of a dichotomy. We are in a spiritual battle. The battle is between God and Satan, and there's no doubt who's going to win, right? This, this, isn't, a, this isn't a battle of the ages to find out who wins. This is a battle that is already decided when Jesus died on the cross and was buried and came back to life again on the third day, the battle was done. And it's always been done. There's never been a question. But the, the war is decided. But it is as if Satan has intended, since he's going down, he wants to take as many people down in defeat as he can when he goes. So we are still in a spiritual battle even our perceived physical battles sometimes have a spiritual nature to them satan has already lost through christ that's already done the victory is assured but we are still in some skirmishes we still have battles to accomplish so be strong be strengthened. Don't be fearful. We do not have to be afraid of the evil forces that are around us, that are inciting trouble, if you will. The spiritual enemies that are around us, that are behind the evil that's happening. There's no particular person or group Satan is doing his best to allow evil to reign, to make sure that it reigns strongly in the world. That should not surprise us. So we need to be diligent, faithful in prayer. We need to be committed to truth. Right? All of these things, we've got to go through this thing, make sure we are on a sure footing, make sure that our, the things that are vital are protected through righteousness, through the righteousness of Christ, if, if we have never come to faith in Christ, and through practical righteousness in our daily lives. We need to exercise faith. Faith will enable us to defeat the temptation to just walk in our own strength, among many other things, and the specific temptations that you particularly battle with. All of those things are so vitally important because this is... It's, it's war, and it is a spiritual battle, and Satan wants you ineffective. I don't know if it's an encouragement to you. I, I, I hope a little bit. Satan doesn't want you dead. An ineffective Christian who is just willing to be lackadaisical about his walk with Christ is much more useful to Satan than a dead one. He wants us to be people who are not bold. He wants us to be people who aren't concerned about the expansion of the kingdom of God. So he will do everything he can to get you that way. Listen, I don't usually recommend books, and I, don't, I, I assume this one's still out. If you haven't read The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis, it's a fascinating read. It's fiction. But I'm telling you, it'll give you some handles to put on what this could be like. It's, it's really an amazing thing to read. I, I don't even have a copy of it anymore. I read it years ago. Um, Satan wants you ineffective. He wants you to just wander through life, not seeking after the things of God. That's why we're constantly told, seek first the kingdom of God. Make that your first priority. All of this stuff, man, it's, there's so much here. 
So I hope, I hope you're encouraged, right? I, when, if, if and when the time comes that we are asked to stand for our faith, and I don't mean, you know, sometimes we stand for our faith because we, we talked about this at the men's breakfast yesterday. You know, we're, you know, the worst thing that happens to us is, you know, somebody tells us we're stupid for believing that. Uh, you know, if the time comes, it affects my job because someone says, I'm sorry, you can't have that job because you're a Christian and you think this. I hope that we will stand and say, well, you're right. That, that informs what I do. It informs how I work. There are lots of things that could be impacted right down to active persecution. I hope I will stand. By the grace of God, I intend to. And it'll be these things that will keep me there, these preparations, these, these things that are built into my life that will allow me to be strengthened to the point that I can stand. So I hope you're encouraged by that, all right? The guys are going to come back. We're going to sing one more time before we go, but let me pray while they're on their way. Father in heaven, I thank you that the battle is won. There's no doubt. There's no question. There's no uh, wondering how things are going to end up. You have already won. And in the final outcome, when all is said and done, Jesus will reign over everything and everyone will actively, knowingly submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ of things in heaven and on earth and things under the earth and every name will proclaim who Jesus was to your glory. And so we're thankful that that's true and we, we believe it with all of our heart. And so I pray that you would make us aware, Lord, of the the spiritual nature of what's going on in our lives, the decisions that we make, the, the circumstances we find ourselves in, these things have a spiritual component that we unfortunately sometimes forget. So Lord, help us to center our attention on the truth, on the divine realities of who you are, to, to live lives that are growing in righteousness, to, to stand on the sure footing of the gospel of peace, that Jesus fights not only for us, but with us. And Lord, all of these things are so important. I pray that you'd encourage our hearts as we seek to walk faithfully in loving you and honoring you. For I ask in Christ's name, amen.